0: Good morning. Morning. Oh, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. good morning. And to those of you who are visiting us, uh, I saw some folks over here and a sister over here. Uh, thank you for visiting us. Uh, my name is Peter Noble, and I'm one of the members, one of the first members of Anacostia River Church. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm so thankful for this church. Um, and I'm going to share a bit of a testimony in a little bit. Um, um, but today, um, I do want to wish everyone a happy 4th of July. When I was a kid, it was the time for uh, my father setting off the fireworks, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the barbecues, and good fun, and um, remembering uh, the freedoms that we enjoy as a country. Though um, so there are people that are ambivalent, as you might be well aware of, and personally being ambivalent about the of in um, a little over an hour um, at the Frederick Douglass House, which is here in southeast Washington. Every year there is an actor that um, uh,
1: gives an oration that
0: was given by Frederick Douglass. He was an abolitionist believe, um, in New Hampshire, in New York. And on July 5th of 1852, he gave an oration called, What is Your Fourth of July 2? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he acknowledged uh, the greatness of our uh, founding fathers and developed our constitution, its liberties, freedoms, and democracy. But he really questioned um, uh, questioned it and pointed out the hypocrisy of of celebrating freedom and liberty while at the same time having people that would so I know a lot of you guys are happy about June that, that memory that uh, started back in Texas. June 19th, it was maybe a year or two, um, after Lincoln had signed uh, the documents for the freedom of, of slaves. It took a couple of years for that message to get to, to Texas. And so on June 19th, and uh, forgive me, I don't remember the year off the top of my head. Someone there 1865, thank you, appreciate that, um, that, um, that they were free. Now, I mentioned all of that because our text today has to deal with coming out of slavery and coming into freedom, coming into the promised land. Uh, unlike uh, the situation here in America, these folks um, did not enter the fullness of the promise because of what we want to do today as, as brothers and sisters around God's Word is consider carefully how we can enter into all the promises that God has for us. So I'm going to take a moment to pray. And after I pray, there's a few things I want to do in our time today. One is to kind of give you a, a, an overview of Deuteronomy I mean as a person. I've been given the subject of building people that fear the Lord from the book of Deuteronomy. So, to give you, um, give you a, a picture of that, and then to drill down a little bit more closely in uh, chapter 10, verse 12 through chapter 11, verse 1. And then, lastly, we're going to pick up a little bit more closely on one of the themes that comes out of that passage. And, uh, Camp out for a while. So let's pray. Now, Father, we're just so grateful that we can come together and worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to set us free, to set us free from the slavery of sin and death and judgment. Father, we, your people, hear your word in faith and ask that you would strengthen us in faith and in hope and in love. Uh, the secret things belong to you, but the revealed things belong to us, that we may and our children may obey all of your laws and commandments. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, guys, last week, uh, Brother Michael, who is um, considered to be a pastor, and what a wonderful sermon. I'm just so thankful. He preached from the Bible, the book of Leviticus. We're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy. So if you can open your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy. We are going to move around a little bit. So it'll be a little bit easier for you that have actually had physical Bibles in your hands. Uh, so Deuteronomy um, is an interesting, wonderful book. And um, that's why we give you a chance to, to get to the so fifth book of the Bible? Uh, it is part of what's referred to as the Pentateuch, the Torah, one of the five books written by Moses. It's referred to as the Law of Moses, the Book of Moses. And Deuteronomy is the Castle, And uh, it is a, a, primarily a series of sermons given by Moses. So if you'll recall the story that God in Genesis called the man Abram to himself and said, through your seed I will bless bless your seed and and I will bless you to have a great people and I will give you a land and describe the land which is is Israel. And He said, through your seed I will bless all the nations of the earth. And so God promised a man who was very old, with a wife who was very old, to have children and he promised a man who lived uh, lived, lived, which I believe is in Syria, to go to go and start a brand new nation. And so that's, that's how this thing started. This, this story starts of God choosing a man who is a part of people that are worshiping many gods to himself, to worship him, to love him, and to know him. But God's intent is not just for him, but it is to create a people That know him and love him. It's not the desire just as individuals that we know and love and fear and reverence God. We live in a culture, the United States in particular, that is very, very individualistic. We even have political parties that celebrate individualism in different kinds of ways. On both sides of the spectrum, you've got people celebrating personal rights. Whether it's rights and freedom from taxes or to live however you want to live, there's an emphasis on individualism. And if those of you guys who follow social media, you have all sorts of people promoting their lifestyles and doing their best and being the best that they possibly can be and pursuing their own happiness. And that's, our, and that's our country. And so we need to hear a message from time to time that says, no, that is not the way I want God's people to live. I want God's people to live together in a way where they worship him and him alone together as a community, as a congregation. And so there is, within our American evangelical Many kinds of habits and practices that can reinforce individualism. The emphasis on quiet time, the emphasis on disciplines, and all of these can have a place in a person's life. But yet the, person, the Apostle Paul teaches it is when we come together, we build ourselves up when we speak the truth to one another in love. Our holiness um, if you are by yourself, if you are not loving and connecting with other people, is severely lacking. So let's take a look at the book of Hebrews. So what we have here is uh, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, and they are. Uh, let's actually take a look at the chapter starts off, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. So these folks are east of the river, <laughs> just like what he said. We're east of the River. So these folks are east of the river, and Moses is going to speak to them. These are not the folks, with the exception of three of them. These are not the folks that, that God delivered by his mighty head and outstretched arm out of, uh, out of Egypt, but rather the children. And so the children of those that have been delivered are standing. There. This is a new generation. They know from having heard from their parents what God's mighty power was, but they themselves, with exception of a few, exception of Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, this is a completely new generation. And so what Moses is essentially doing is he is preparing this group of people to go into the Promised Land. That's his purpose. He wants to prepare them because uh, the prior generation didn't make it of his. So what he does is, um, you can actually divide the book of Deuteronomy in a few broad sections. The first three chapters, and maybe into chapter 4 a little bit, really is uh, Moses rehearsing what God has done, his grace and kindness. Um, and then chapters four through 26 are a series of laws and statutes and ordinances that Moses sets out for the people to live when they inherit the land. And then the last thing is the final section is the consequences, the blessings and the curses associated with obeying and disobeying God's law. And then Moses teaches them a song in chapter. To and then he has his farewell. He has his farewell and says goodbye to him. So that sums up the, the book of Deuteronomy. So in the review, let's look at the first few chapters. He reminds them, he reminds this generation of the previous generation. And he says, if you look at a verse, a verse, verse 10, it says, the Lord has increased your numbers so that today you are the numerous as stars of the the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you to a thousand times the price. But how can I bear the problems and the burdens of this wise stuff? Choosing wise, understanding, your and respected means from your tribes. And so, uh, what you answered me, what you proposed to choose. So, I took leading men from your tribes, wise, and respected men. So, that, that is the first step that Moses takes. But this particularly is establishing the leaders. So if we're going to inherit God's promises and move into God's promises as a people to be one and one another, we're going to need to have solid leaders. So I'm thankful for our pastors and for our deacons, and I'm thankful for our candidate, Michael, and I ask that you would pray with me uh, so that uh, together the pastors leaders, lead us into righteousness. So if we go to verse 19, the Lord God commanded us and we set off a quarry uh, toward the hill country of the Amorites all, through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that we have seen. So we reached a dish for Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites which the Lord our God has given us. Again, Moses reflecting in the first generation of the current generation. See the Lord your God, verse 12, has given you need. go up, take possession of it is the Lord the God of your ancestors told you. i discouraged. You came to me, said, let us send men ahead to spy the land. Verse 23, the idea seemed good to me. So I selected twelve of them, one from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country um, and came to the valley of Escol, Escol, and explored it, taking with them some fruit of the land. They brought it down to us, and we it is a good land. 26. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents You said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than you are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I, that is Moses, said to you, Do not be terrified, do not be afraid of me. The Lord your God, who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you to each your very eyes and ears." There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way wait, until he reached this. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and cloud by day to search out places for you, to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore No one from this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors. Except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet because he followed him in the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also, as Moses, and said, You shall not enter the But your assistant, Joshua, son of none, son of none, will enter. Encourage him, because he believed Israel to. You. Amen. So what we have here is God promising, fulfilling his promise to Abraham for a land, for people to go into a land. And these people had seen God deliver them from Egypt. The ten plagues destroying the the armies of Egypt and destroying Egypt, all of its uh, crops, all of its animals destroying them as a nation. He had seen, they had seen God bring them out. Yet, when they got the report from the 12 spies, they suddenly had a change of heart. The hearts, they said, melted within them. And it said that they did not, verse 32. And so Moses, he pleads with them. He says, "But in spite of his pleading, verse 32, you do not trust in the Lord your God. So the Lord makes an oath that none of these people will enter into the promise. He doesn't kill them off, but what he does is he waits for all the fighting men of that generation to die. It takes about 38 to 40 years before he will take a new generation of people. So what he does is, even though these people have been rebellious, he doesn't throw them off. He guides them through the wilderness. He cares for them and provides them. He provides them with land, he provides them water. He guides them by cloud. He protects them from their enemies that are around them and he for them throughout all years. So while he punishes them and disciplines them, he does not reject them. And so verse 32 describes, excuse me, chapter 2, if you know I mean? describes that. Now, for the sake of time, what I want to do here is just say that the Lord commands about many things. One is that they should not worship the gods. But chapter 5, Moses reiterates the Ten Commandments, or what the Jewish people refer to as the ten words, so that this new generation would obey the Lord. So chapter 5, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now Moses is speaking to the people that are the second generation, and he's reminding them of God's grace. I am the Lord your God, verse 6 of chapter 5, who brought you out of Egypt of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. Verse 11. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord commanded you. The Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor keep your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Verse 16: Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live all, and that it may go well with you in the land of the Lord your God. Giving. Verse 17. You shall not murder. Verse 18. You shall not commit adultery. Verse 19. You shall not steal. Verse 20. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land. His male or female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These, if you well know, refer to it as. The Ten Commandments. This is the covenant that the Lord God had with the Jewish people, these Ten Commandments. And uh, through the lens of Christ, they are applicable to us even today. What I want you to notice here in verse 6 of chapter 5 is that these commands are framed by grace. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So the Lord does give us commands, but he gives us commands as people who have been set free. We do not obey these commands to earn our freedom. We do not obey to gain our liberation. The Lord God has already liberated this people. He's rehearsed his grace to a rebellious people and now he gives them commands. So brothers and sisters, even as Moses told these people to obey because they received grace, even now the Lord tells us to obey because we are receiving No other gods. We live in a country where people worship many things and create their own spirituality. But the Lord says, No other gods. He says, you should not make any other image to worship. When we worship the Lord, we should not create images in our minds. God spoke out of the darkness. They did not see his form, but they heard his voice. No image could contain the greatness of the God who is and always has been. No images. And no idols on misery. No man, no woman, no superstar, no actor, no athlete, no, no media influencer should have more influence on you than the Lord God Almighty. Money should not be your God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We should reverence the name of God. And it's more, this is more than just about uh, not using the Lord's name with family, but it's about honoring Him because His name is attached to you. In all your interactions, in all of your dealings, in all of your commitments, you are doing them in the name of the Lord because the Lord's name is for you. Don't claim to be Christian. Don't make that claim to follow Christ and knowingly and persistently and willingly disobey the word of God. You would be misusing his name. Observe the Sabbath day. Now in the New Testament, we have a very different kind of set. Here here in Kiva culture, we have a monolithic, ethnocentric, Group, they're all Jewish folks, for the most part are us, foreigners that have joined them. And they are going into a geopolitical area. They're all one nation. But when we come to the New Testament, what we have here is we have a group of people from many different nations and various cultures where the laws of the land don't have anything about Sabbath, in terms of the Sabbath. The Christians have historically have seen the Lord Jesus rising on 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 Sunday, the first day of the week, as being the beginning of a new creation. That's more what I want to talk to you about today. (laughs) But we do have this calling as believers to gather together. We should not forsake the gathering together, as is the habit of some, but we should gather together even more often as we see the day approaching to encourage one another, and to build one another up. So, brothers and sisters, let us honor this day of rest, where we rest in God's promises, by coming to be able to hear his word and to praise his name. Verse 16 of chapter 5. Honor your father and your mother. I know we've got some kids here. The Lord says, honor, that is to respect. Your parents, as the Lord has commanded you. And he says this with a promise, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. In the land of the Lord your God has given you. so that is given So that is a transition, really, from how we worship God to how we deal with him. Because often how we deal with our parents often reflects our attitudes towards the Lord. As the Lord God gives us parents to teach us and to guide us. Parents, this means that you should strive, if you follow Christ, to be honorable, to live in such a way that your your children find it um, easy or not difficult, rather, to honor. Verse 17 of chapter 5 You shall not murder the Lord Jesus, He he goes beyond and says, this goes to the heart. He says that the person not, that hates and the person that curses another person is committing murder in the heart. Verse 18, you should not commit adultery. The Lord Jesus goes further with this and says, it's not just the person that commits adultery, but the person that looks on another with lust. Verse 19, you should not steal. Take things that are not yours. Not give false testimony against you anymore. That's lying a lie about another person. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. You should not desire, uh, you should not set your desire in your neighbor's house, or land, or servant, or animals, or anything that you to your neighbor. So these are the 10 words. They cover our externals, and that 10th commandment covers our heart. These are the commandments of the Lord. Lord proclaiming aloud for us to be homeless, even there not to be, from out of the fire in the deep darkness, he added nothing, Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to them. Amen. So, let's turn over, if you would, to chapter 10, verse 12. So there are a number of commands in this section, as I said, ch- chapters four through twenty-six. Those series of laws.
1: There's a number of laws. There's so many here
0: that uh, that are a- absolutely fascinating. That Deuteronomy is one of the most important books in the New Testament. If you want to know your New Testament well, you've we got. Uh, so um, I know last week it's an encouragement from George to read the book of Leviticus. I'm going to encourage the reading of the book of Deuteronomy. It is the most quoted book of Jesus, by Jesus. Uh, and so it is a phenomenal book. There are sections, there's a section in there about one place to worship, worshiping God's. There's a section about t- bringing tides in. And there's a section in there about a year of jubilee where everyone's dead. are made. Amazing. And uh, some of these laws that you read through the book of Donald, Deuteronomy can seem really strange. And they might seem harsh, um, but one thing to remember is you're reading through one of them from your own is that this is written in a cultural context. And these laws would have stood out greatly you know, in the Near East you know, if you go back 3,400 years ago. There was, no, um, there was no rule of law for those things. The king, whatever the king said, happened. Uh, we have cultures here that are in their worship that are setting their children on fire, who are involved in all sorts of sexual immorality, who are brutal and without consequences. And in their worship of their various idols, they would cut themselves and they would have relations with temple prostitutes. So this law, which was calling a people to be holy for himself, would have stood out. So let's take a look at chapter, we're going to look at chapter 10, verse 12, 11 verse 12. And this right here is um, a moment in the giving of laws where Moses takes a pause because he wants to give a series of exhortations. He's not just, he's just not a lawgiver, he really is quite pastoral. He's a shepherd guiding his sheep, and he wants to encourage them. So what you're going to see in this section is a threefold repetition. You're going to see what the question starts off, verse 12, chapter 10. It says, "And now, Israel, what does the Lord ask of you?" We repeat that again. And now, Israel, that's the people of God. What does the Lord your God ask? Of you? So what Moses is going to do is he's going to answer that question three times. He's going to tell them, one, what, what it is that the Lord asks them. Then two, he's going to point to a reason that they should be in awe of. That is a ground or reasoning for doing what the Lord asks. And then thirdly, he's going to give an action, an action either of God or God's people. So again, that's a threefold repetition in this section where the Lord is going to answer this question. What does the Lord ask of him? How God is awesome. And so because he's awesome, it's implied, this is why we should do what he asks of. And then lastly, an action that God has done that should further encourage God's people to do what he asks of. Him. So let's read this section. Let's read this together. I'm going to first read, the first, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. This is the first section. Question that's going to be answered for this section here is verse 12, beginning of verse 12. And now is you. What does the Lord your God ask you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord with all your hearts, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving to you today. To the Lord, your God, the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it, that the Lord has set his affection on you, on your ancestors, and loved them, and he chose you descendants above all the nations as it is today. So this first, first section is answering this question in verse, the second part of chapter, Verse 12 and verse 13 are answering the questions: what does the Lord ask of his people of Israel? And the first one is he gives a, a series of a series of commands or a series of, of, of exhortations. One is to fear the Lord God. The second is to walk in. Third is to serve the Lord your God with all your holy And fourth is to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that are given. So I want you to notice that these four things, these four exhortations, that two of them have to do with the heart. And then two of them have to do with actually how you live your life. The first one is to fear the Lord your God. That is to reverence Him. To honor Him. To show him respect, to have a recognition of him in his greatness and in his power and in his great love. That is to fear the Lord. You guys, uh, looking at your Bibles, you'll notice this fear the Lord. You look at the word Lord, it's all in capital letters. See that? That's, that's, that is, um, that's how our, our many English Bibles. Are translate Yahweh, which means I am that I am. That's the covenant name that God gave to his people. I am that I am. So we're supposed to fear the Lord. I am that I am. We're to reverence him, and we're to walk in obedience. So we fear him, we reverence him, that is a disposition of our hearts. But then we also obey. You hear that? It's the heart and the love. It's the mind and the body. It's the attitude and it's the actions. We fear the Lord God and we walk in obedience. Then it says the last pairing is to love Him, to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. So here we see. One is to serve the Lord. That means (laughs) you are his servant. That means we are to do the things that the Lord asked of us individually and collectively, that we are to serve the Lord. Now, there are some commands that are for all of us, and there are some things that might be specifically to you as individuals. Some of you guys have gifts that I don't have. In fact, most of you have gifts that I don't have. You can read in uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, of listings of spiritual gifts. Then you, some of you, most of you have opportunities in your families, in your households, in your neighborhoods, with your neighbors, uh, with your places of work and in your communities, uh, to serve in unique ways. So what God is saying here is, serve the Lord with all of your heart. That is to put some effort to serve God in his purposes. You could say seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. And it says to love love your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, we're getting to the heart of the matter. Is God doesn't want just us to have actions without the internal, because that's legal. If you go through the motions of coming to church or avoiding particular sins or doing particular righteous acts because you know it's all about duty or because it helps you in your social standing, um, it's, it's a hypocrisy and worse. And it's legalism also. It could be also legalism. But it's not just enough to obey God and not have the heart. And it's not enough to have the heart and not obey God. Faith without works is dead. What good does it do? If a brother or sister comes to you hungry, needing clothing, and you say, only blessed, we must love the Lord our God with, with our actions and belief. So that's the ask. That is what the Lord, now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? So we've heard it is to fear him, to walk in obedience, to love him, and to serve him. Observe all his commands. We went through a number of his commands just a moment ago. So now what God, now what Moses does, because he's a preacher, he wants to inspire uh, his listeners to follow his, what he's saying. So when he says here in verse 14, he points to God's awesomeness. To the Lord your God belong the heavens. Even the highest heaven, the earth, and everything that is in it. So one of the reasons that we, as God's people, should fear and walk in obedience and serve and love is because God owns and has created everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything between, and the seas, and everything in the seas. This should cause us to have a sense of awe. When we look at creation and see God's power, and see God's wisdom, we should not suppress that truth and but We should see that God is creator and maker of all things. And therefore, a rightful owner of all things. So, now we move from the awesomeness of God to verse 15. Where Moses, as a preacher, wants to get a little bit closer to their hearts. He wants to move them by showing them what God has done for them in particular. Verse 15, yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. So what we see here is not just God is creator, but God is one who loves and sets affection on and chooses. He's like a father in it. He's gracious and he's merciful. That should motivate us to respond to that love with love and reverence and obedience. Amen. So now we move to the second triumph, where God Tell what word the Lord answers, and Moses, rather, answers the question. Verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? We know now that it's a fear of Lord. Now in verse 16, we see, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Verse 17 gives us the awesome, reason. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of life, Lords, and the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and sets them. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You are to love those who are foreigners, for so you yourselves are foreigners in India. The second trial. Circumcise your hearts. He's telling them to cut away what needs to be cut away. Now, I think of, of, of Jesus' teaching around adultery. If your hand claws to be set, cut it off. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-knit. So now, he doesn't explain here what circumcise your hearts means. It's an unusual metaphor. But he says, and do not be stiff-knit. So the idea that is that is communicated here because the idea is to be soft and responsive. There may be some members in our congregation that are giving themselves over to a pet sin. I'm speaking to you with the hopes that you would sin no more. Do not be stiff necked Do not resist. Do not ignore the word of the Lord. Why? Here's the reason that the Lord gives for our awesome. For the Lord your God is God of gods. That, this is a reference to those gods people imagine that are that, that really are not, and also could refer to also to spiritual powers and unseen supernatural forces in heavenly places. The Lord, Yahweh, I am thy am, is God of gods. He is supreme and superior over everything unseen. And he's the Lord of lords. This is a reference to all earthly your bosses, your government, whomever might be in authority over you. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great God. He is mighty and awesome, and he shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Now brothers and sisters, we look on the outside. You know, sometimes you might have crossed the street because you saw someone looking a particular kind of way. You might have decided someone would be your friend because they looked in a particular way. You might have walked past someone because they didn't fit your mold. But the Lord shows no partiality, and He accepts no bribes. There's no deal making with God. You can't get out of your sin by making some kind of deal. So this should inspire us in His greatness and His perfect His perfection and justice. And then it gets a little bit more. Personal. Verse eighteen. This is the action that He's called, that that. He, he himself does and calls us to do. Look at this, verse 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and, give, and loves the former residing in the womb, giving them food and clothing. Amen. What a great God to care for those on the margins. You might not care about the vulnerable of all times, but the Lord does. He defends the cause of the fatherless widow. He loves the foreigner, the person that's different. And he says, verse 19, and you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves are foreigners in Egypt. Not only is God merciful, but he says, be compassionate. You know what it was to be a slave or to be a foreigner. So you should be compassionate. That's the second truth. The third one, and this is the preacher because he's repeating himself. Verse 20. is answering the question in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask for? Verse 20. Fear the Lord your God and serve Him. We've heard that before in right? verse 13. Reverence Him to serve Him actively. And then continues hold fast to Him and take your oaths in His name. So now we're adding something here. To hold fast to Him is to cling to Him, is to trust in Him is to rely on him. This is the language of faith. Moses is calling them to faith. Not just fear and obedience, but to trust in the Lord God. Remember that first generation? They didn't trust the Lord their God, and they did not enter into all the promises that God had. We're called to hold fast And take our oaths in his name. That means we make commitments that we need to honor those commitments because we represent them. So that is the ask. Now, why do we we hold God? Why do we hold God? God? The answer is in verse 21. He is the one you praise, He is your God who will fall for you those great and awesome wonders solemn, you saw with own eyes. He tells them to fear him because he performed great and mighty works. He delivered them from Egypt. He delivered them and walked through them for 40 years in the wilderness. And they saw him. Brothers and sisters, consider what the Lord has done. His great and awesome wonders that you have seen with your own eyes. Now it gets closer, more personal. Verse 22. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 and old. Now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. The Lord kept his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to an old man, Abraham, and to an old woman, Sarah. To them, he made a mighty nation. He says, I've answered my promises. I've kept my promises. For this reason, you should fear me, love me, serve me, worship me, hold fast me. Chapter 11, verse 40. Here, Moses sums up what he said. He says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands. It starts off with loving the Lord your God. This is the great command. Hear, O Israel. Right? The Lord Jesus, when asked, when asked, what is the greatest command? Is Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength love him with all that you are within, and then to keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, his commands. So from the heart to the body, we are to love the Lord God because of his grace. Amen. So there is a theme here that I want to develop just a little bit more for your encouragement. you would, take a look at verse 15. again. It says, Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and love and shows you were the siblings of all the nations. Chapter 10, verse 15. Yet the Lord set his affection on you and your ancestors and love and shows you in the siblings of all the nations. We have the idea of choosing, idea of we have the idea of loving, we have the idea of an inheritance contained, contained in this particular verse. This is the language of a father to a son, father to a child. He would look back, with on to chapter 3. Let me look at verse 2 through 5. So remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness this week, to wilderness these to humble you, test you, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you taste man. He humbled you, causing you hunger, and feeding you man, which neither you nor your ancestors knew, to teach you that man does not live on the bone, but on every word that comes from God. Your clothes now wear out, your feet Do not swell during these four years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. That's a rich passage. What I want you to focus in here is that the Lord views this people as his son, as his child. And he disciplines the gods. Turn over if you would with me too. Read the first two verses. it says, You are the children, and some of your versions might, translations might say sons, you are the children, the sons of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or share the front of your hands for them. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of you, the Lord as chosen you to be his So again here, verse 14 is the idea of relationship that is a family relationship. Lord and if we would turn our way to chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 32 is the song of Moses. This is a song that he taught the children of Egypt. I'm just going to read up a little bit of it. Verse one, listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. I'll let my teaching fall like rain. And my words like dew, like showers on the new grass. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O oh, praise the greatness of God. He is the God, the perfect, always just, the faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as They are corrupted, in his children to their shame, they are your to the whole generation. In this way, in this way, you repay the Lord, you foolish and wise people. Is he not your Father, your Creator, who made and formed you? Amen. I'd like to spend a little bit more time on that world. Here Moses is, is basically saying that you are the children of God. And then he also, in verse 5, refers to God. Now Let's go to chapter 21. Went through those verses to establish that the Lord wants to have a relationship with us, as the Father does with children. And that one of the primary drivers for us to to reverence him and to Honor him and to fear him is that he is our Father. I, want to, I really wanted to kind of emphasize that, that he wants us to honor him. Indeed, as believers, we should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is referenced, honored, and respected. So as children of the living God, we should honor, fear, and hallow the name of the Lord who is our Father. So now what I want to look at here is something very interesting. It's about a son who is disobedient. Verse 18 of chapter 21. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him. His father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, by the way, this is not a we here, We're talking about an older son. This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil, from among all Israel, all Israel will hear of it and be afraid. This is a very serious commandment. Very, very serious. And the answer for the reason of why the, why the command is so serious to stone this rebellious son is, it points, is you see in the last verse 21, points. you must purge evil from among you. This is the idea that a rebellious child among us has an imp- can have an impact on us negative. We cannot overlook, ignore the impact that leaven has when it's put into flour. It's going to leaven the whole lot so Lord God tells us as a community to deal with sin in our midst. And sadly, we've had issues of, of discipline, church discipline in our own community. What I want you to notice here is at the end of chapter 20, it's excuse me, verse 20. Chapter 21. End 20, of chapter 20. It says, He went out that he is a glutton and a drunkard. <clears throat> Uh, we're going to have some gospel preaching now. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys heard that expression, glutton and drunkard, before? I was curious. Anyone heard that? Who was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard? Oh, yes. Jesus mentions this in chapter 11. He's making a comment about J- John the Baptist. John the Baptist doesn't become eating and drinking and saying he's a demon. The Son of Man. He comes eating and drinking with uh, tax collectors and sinners and you call him uh, you call them a drunkard and a collector. So what they were in a sense was doing is they were picking up the language of the rebellious son. They were referring, to the people of Jesus' time, calling Jesus a rebellious son that should be purged. That's what they were doing. They were referring to him as someone disobedient, as someone whose actions, if they were to continue, would have a negative impact on God. But in contrast to that, the Father from Heaven says something quite different. You guys remember uh, in uh, chapter 3 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. John the Baptist doesn't want to baptize him, but Jesus says, Commit it for all sake of righteousness. And he allows it. And the heavens open. And what appears to be a dove comes and lands upon you, Jesus. And the Father says, This is my son, with my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. Remember that?
1: And then again, we hear
0: this same kind of speaking from heaven at the Mount of Trans- Transfiguration found in Matthew, chapter 17. The Lord Jesus goes up to this mountain some days after Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus begins to teach that the Son of Man must be rejected, that he must be beaten and killed, and on the third day rise again. You remember that? And Peter is like, "No, this this is not going to happen." Jesus rebukes Peter, and then some days later takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and Jesus is His form is transfigured. He shines as bright as the sun. And there's a cloud that envelops him. A cloud that makes you think of a cloud and a And the Lord says, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. He repeats the same thing. But then he says, listen to him. And he's telling his disciples who've rejected the idea that the Son of Man should be killed and rejected. That's not their idea of a Messiah. But the Father says, listen to him. Jesus is the obedient Son with whom the Father is well pleased. He was obedient in every law. He was tempted at every point as we are tempted, but yet he did not sin. He is the righteous one. Both Peter and John referred to Jesus as the righteous one. And while Jesus was on the cross, the centurion said, Surely this was a righteous man. On the cross, there was no bitterness. He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. If someone guilty of capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole. You must not leave the body hanging on the pole; be bury that same day. Because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land, the Lord of God's gift as an inheritance. Do you remember that the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus after he died to be taken down because the Sabbath was approaching? They They didn't want their Sabbath to be desecrated. But the Lord Jesus hanging on that pole, on that cross, Paul writes, became a curse for us. He bore the penalty of our sin. The wages of sin is death. And Christ died for sins. But praise be to God, he rose up from the grave. That all who believe in him shall have their sins wiped away. And they shall be given new life. That's good news. That is the ground to reverence God. What God would consider pouring out his wrath on his own son as a substitute for sinners, stiff-necked people like you and certainly me. Who would bear God's curse? Who would bear it in your place or my place? Who would do that? It's the Lord. Jesus, the Son of God, the obedient Son. He is Lord. Amen.